Hey everybody, how are you doing today? Good, welcome. Great to see you. Everybody all right? Live? Yeah. So, uh, hey, if you're new to Sanctuary, I love that you're here. Uh, we're just like a bunch of imperfect people trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus, and we don't always get that right, beginning with the speaker. So anyway, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us on the journey here. We love that you're here. We love to make a, just a, a lasting difference in people's lives, and so that's what we're all about here. Anyway, um, also love to hang out and meet you guys in the patio afterwards there. So then I wanted to mention, coming up on June 3rd, we're going to be launching a Bible study on Sunday mornings unpacking all things there. Uh, so if you want to look at the screens there, we're going to be doing that. It's going to be awesome. Um, so that begins on June 3rd. And then also in Colossians. And then also uh, next week, we're going to be finishing up our, our series on Jesus. So the end of the time together here this morning, we're going to be taking up a benevolence offering. We do this once a year. And the reason we do it is we just, it's an offering hundred percent of it just goes to people in need. You know, people have uh, needs they bump up against the end of the month there and they need electrical bill or their car, minor car repairs or things like that. So anyway, so we take up a benevolence offering for people to give to actually this community and uh, the community beyond. So that's what we'll be doing at the end of our time here together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, you're a great and an awesome God, as we sang about this morning, that you bring hope into our brokenness and light into our darkness, and you save and you heal and you restore and you are our stronghold, and we put our trust in you and pray that you would speak to us this day from your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we're in our Jesus series here. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a message on Game Changer. I don't know if you ever had an experience in your life where you felt like that shifted my thinking. That was an absolute game changer. Where we're going to be looking at some game changer scriptures here this morning. I think a game changer is where you have a shift. This kind of redefines your reality in your life there. And so uh, perhaps some of you came in here this morning and uh, you would be a candidate, you know, that God would do something in your life that it would be a game changer for you. For example, a scripture that I wanted to bring to your attention there, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is a game changer type of scripture. Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life there. Those three words, though, above all else. In other words, everything in your life, you know, reduces to this above everything else. Guard your heart. Because out of your heart, you know, it determines the very direction, the very course of your life there. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this is something you want to process here because you got to guard your heart. Now, you know, your heart is so important that you can't live without your heart. You know, you can live without a limb, you know, you can live without a limb, right? So, I mean, they're kind of negotiable, but you can live without a limb. There was that movie, 127 Hours. Some of you saw that it felt like 127 hours. But anyway, so the guy is caught there between the rock there. And then uh, he takes, you know, uh, like a plastic spoon or a blade of grass, kind of, and just cuts his arm there, James Franco. And, uh, and so it demonstrates there visually that you can actually live without a limb. You know, that they're kind of like perks are kind of negotiable there. And uh, there was a wrestler, I just was watching his videos, and he was an NCAA wrestler. And he only had one leg. So he lost his hip, there lost his whole leg. You can YouTube it there and look at it. His name is Anthony Robles. 
So, but he was not only a wrestler, he was the NCAA Division I champion. So he was like one of the great wrestlers really in the world and the greatest wrestler in America at his weight class. He didn't have a leg. So, so, you know, you can live, you know, like without limbs, but your heart, the Bible is saying that this is it, that out of the very, the very core of everything that happens in your life flows out of what is, is happening in your heart here. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're curious, you're wondering, you're investigating, maybe you're invited by a friend, whatever, but I think there's going to be value what we talk about this morning as we unpack these scriptures here. And so in your notes there, says that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you know, you want to show up as a servant. And we've been looking at what it looks like to be a servant. If you're a Jesus follower, well, the things that we want to be taking a hold of. And one of those was being a servant there. And so we talked about how God showed up, the person of Jesus, as a humble servant. Stunning, shocking that God would show up this way here. And so, but the problem is, the problem is this, is that when you if you cross that line and you say, you know what, I'm in, I'll show up as a servant, here's what happens. People can begin to treat you like you're actually a servant. Sometimes we don't like that and we feel like, well, you know, is serving, you know, it's like a little extra credit thing or is this like core to, to who I am here? So we're going to look at this story in Acts chapter 6 and some other scriptures there. And it's a really powerful story. It's got some great uh, principles in it. We really want to build into our lives here some very powerful insights. And so the context here, the context is the church is doing great. The church is growing. Jesus picks his leaders here. They matriculated at the school, the university of Jesus Christ here. And so, but what's going to happen is there's going to be issues and problems which surface here. So look at what it says. It's on the screen. here, Acts chapter six, beginning in verse one. It says the believers rapidly multiplied. They're proclaiming the message and now just going crazy here. And so the church is growing. They're increasing in numbers. And it says this, but there were rumblings of discontent. So even though things are going amazing, the church is growing, handpicked leaders by Jesus, three months into it now, there are rumblings of discontent. So this is a participation experience here. And I'm going to ask you to give me your very best expression of a rumbling of discontent. Are you ready? Are you ready? On the count of three, one, two, three, rumbling of discontent. Not bad, but the nine o'clock outdid you. So I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself with a better rumbling of discontent. That was good. That was good. So there's tension and there's conflict which is developing here. And so there's these rumblings of discontent. And so below the surface, there's problems which are ready to explode, you know, in the church. And how many people know what happens if you don't deal with problems when they're below the surface? And so there's a racial problem. There's a cultural problem. There's an economic problem. There's a, there's a food problem. It's the very same problem that we face today here. And so what you have is you have these widows and the widows are destitute. The widows, you know, they didn't have 401ks, retirement. So they 
had nothing. They're flat broke. They're starving to death. So they're looking at there's other widows there in the church. And there's the Hebrew widows, which are, you know, they had relationship and they had been there. And then the outsider Greek widows come and they're looking at the Hebrew widows and they've got all the food and all the love, you know, and all the support. They've got nothing. It's like the Hebrew uh, uh, widows are like, first class, enjoying that. And they're like the little, you know, they're like third class stuffed into the little little uh, overhead uh, compartments there. And so there's, there's anger which is developing here. There's tension in the church. And so the attitude was like this, is that the Hebrew women were like, hey, it's your problem. You should have thought about this before you came here, you know, to Jerusalem here. This is not our problem. We didn't invite you. You just moved in. We didn't ask you to come here, you know. So you came without enough money. So this is your problem. So this tension is brewing there here. And so God, what he does then is he wants to highlight what has happened in this dynamic here and how do we deal with this. And so this first problem, which is a racial, an ethnic, a financial, a food problem, they're a resource problem. Verse 2. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. And so they're ticked off. They're just, they've had it here. And so then it says this, there's another problem in the church. They'll watch. Another problem. So the twelve, they're struggling with this. Uh, uh, Jesus' followers there, his disciples, the twelve there, uh, were teaching the Word of God. Or what should they be doing? Or running a food pro- a program. So you have this other tension there going on in the church. Like, what do we do? We got all these starving widows here, but like, but we've got to do the church thing. We've got to, you know, we've got to teach, you know, and lead people to Christ. But you know, now we're feeling pressure to do food. So what, so there's more tension there. And so should we teach God's word and lead people to Jesus, you know, or do we care for the basic needs of the widows here? And so a fun observation is this here. At this point, the church is only about three months old. It's only about 90 days old. And already, the beginning of the church, you have established here a resource center and a food distribution. Already in the very beginning of the church here. And so at three months, you see this. And really, it expresses God's heart there to help people. And it's throughout the Bible, throughout you know Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10 in your notes says this, that he ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. In Isaiah, it says, uh, says more, expanding on this idea, it says, free those, lighten the burden, remove the chains that bind people, share your food, okay? give shelter, give clothes, feed the hungry, help those in trouble, then your light will shine, they'll see your good works, they'll rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. And so this, then, is God's heart. Revealed there. So when you look at the words here, they're words like help, share, feed, you know, care for. And so this is what shapes what we do here. And so Jesus then would teach on this subject to his disciples. I want to point out a couple areas that he taught there. So he taught, he told his disciples that one day all of humanity will be divided by one thing. All of humanity would be divided by one thing here. And that all of us would stand before God to be judged. And all humanity would be separated based on this one thing. Some would be in and some would be out. And so I'm sure some of the disciples were like, oh, we, we know what it is. Yeah, if you, if you say that prayer and uh, fill out the card, you know, raise your hand, you know, you'll be in. Okay, and so... 
Uh, so here's what happened. Jesus shocks them because here's what he said. He said, here's how people are divided. And he turns to the people and he says, you know what? I was hungry and you gave me food. So he's saying, look, I care about food distribution. I care about the whole person here. I care about feeding the poor. I was thirsty. I care about water. And I care about clean water. He says here, and you gave me water to drink. I was a stranger. I was an outsider, and you made me feel like an insider. He says, I didn't have any clothes, and you clothed me. See, God cares about clothing people. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison. I was oppressed. Uh, I was in the cycle of poverty, and you cared for me here. And so, and then he says this in Matthew chapter 25. The scripture is on the screens there. He says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then he says the, the next thing. He says the eternal regret story. He says, and for the rest of you, he turns to the other group. And he says this. He says, you were out there. You did not do what you were supposed to do here. He says, because I was hungry, and I was thirsty, and I was naked, and you didn't do anything for me. It says, I was without clothes, I was sick, and you didn't help me. And so the people were equally shocked when he said, need, they said, when you, uh, when you, didn't you see me in need here? He said, as much as you didn't do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you didn't do it to me. All that to say this here. See, they were taught, as the early followers of Jesus, they were taught this, that Jesus every day would show up in their lives. Think about it. Show up in their lives as marginalized, as you know, the oppressed and disguised as the poor there. And he would say, when you extend love and you extend kindness to the hurting, you're actually serving Jesus himself here. And so then he told one other story, the story of the Good Samaritan here. And he said, there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho because this lawyer asked him, what must I do? So the story is going to include you. If you're like a, you like go to church, the story actually includes me. And so he said that there was this, there was this man that was beaten up, left for dead. You know, he, he like, uh, uh, was, was naked there on the side of the road. It's kind of dangerous and everybody's busy, you know, like you're busy. And so somebody like me came along and I came along and I, and I, and I like looked at the guy. I said, you know what, I'm kind of busy and I don't really have time, you know, for this guy here. And so, uh, so I just blow by him. And then you go by. And so you show up and you showed up and you looked and you're busy and you're in a hurry and everything. And you do exactly the same thing. And you looked like, said, well, Rod didn't have time for him. And so, you know, Rod blew by. So I'm just going to blow by this guy. And then a Samaritan shows up. And a Samaritan is like the, you know, that, that, that growl thing you did before. Let's do that one more time so you can just get into the moment and really feel what was happening. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Good. Okay. So, so I blow by, you know, all you good church people, you blow by. And then there's a Samaritan, which the way that you would feel about him is that you would growl when you, when you saw them because they represent whatever culture is the hardest for you to love, the hardest for you to deal with. That's the Samaritan. They were, they were hated there. 
So the Samaritan comes by, gets involved and, and uh, loves on him, gets him clothes, gets him a place to stay, you know, takes care of him, uh, does medical emergency treatment there and all of that, and cares for the basic needs, offers relationship there. And then Jesus said this, Luke chapter 10, look at the screens. Luke chapter 10 says this, verse 36. Now, he says to the Lord, which of these three would you, would you what did you say, a neighbor to the man who attacked by bandits? And Jesus asked this. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Notice he doesn't say just go and talk about it. Go and just teach on it for the next 2,000 years. Go and do that. Reach out. And so, so there, again, there's this great tension now. There's a great tension there between uh, the, the disciples figuring out what are we to do? Are we to go and just preach the word, go and lead people to Christ, or are we to take care of them also? And what is it? Are they to do one or the other or to do both? What are they to do? One more time. They are to do? Yeah, so they are to do both here. And so it's not enough just to proclaim the good news. It's what Jesus is saying here. That our job is done only when people, you know, they find Christ like, like our job is done. Our job is not done. Our job is not done here. And so we're to help them with their basic needs. That's the point. So the point is this, is that we must embody and proclaim the good news but not just proclaim it or not just embody it. We have to do both here. And so yesterday, I was getting my car washed. I was at the car wash. And, uh, and so while I was in the car wash, it's one of those ones that you just stay in the tunnel there and, uh, and, and, the, and the things go by, you know, and you feel like you're moving and you're not moving. Well, I was noticing the people, because I was a captive audience for about five minutes here, I'm noticing the people in front of me. And I noticed these people on bikes, they were all homeless. And they kept going behind the car wash there. So I'm trying to look around and see, like, where, where are they going, you know? And I couldn't figure out where they were going, but they're, they're going behind. And then there's, a, then there's a couple in front of me there, and uh, they're just hanging out, and they're smoking. And I thought, and they're kind of exchanging what they were smoking. I, thought, I wonder what they're smoking there. And so I'm trying to figure out, well, well, my car's being washed, right? I'm just, I'm trapped in the car. There's nothing. I'm just trapped there. And, uh, and so, but while I was there, I, I just felt like, I just felt like, you know what, Rod, um, you're not here just to be at the car wash. You're, you, you, you could do something for all. There's like a community of them. It's a community of people here. And you could do something. And, uh, uh, and so I don't think it was by accident that I was there taking this, this whole thing in. So I thought, yes, tomorrow, getting a sleeping bag, I'm coming back. And, and so hold that thought because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on that in just a minute. And so in 1974... The church is struggling with this idea. What do we do? Are we just, you know, to preach the gospel and to lead people to Christ, or are we to embody the gospel? So they had this Luzanne conference called by Billy Graham, 150 nations, and they debated this. They debated this, and it got really heated there. Finally, what happened is they drew up a covenant, and John Stott drew up the covenant. So I'm like connected to John Stott because my mentor was mentored by John Stott. So he always talks about John Stott. And so John Stott said, here it is, and here's what we need to do. We need to, and then and he gave this this, um, statement that he said, we need the whole church will take the whole gospel 
And you say, well, what does the whole gospel mean? It means we'll declare Jesus and we'll embody Jesus to the whole world. In other words, this is what we must do. You must get out of your seats. You must get out of your seats and get into the streets, is what it's saying there. Out of our seats and into the streets here. And so the whole church takes the whole gospel there. And so continuing in Acts, verse 3 on the screens there. Brothers, select seven men. Here's the solution. Here's how they were going to meet the need. Respected men who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. I will give them this responsibility. And everyone liked the idea, so they chose the seven. And so here's what they did. They own the problem. I want you to see this. First thing is they own the problem. And they picked people to solve the problem. And this is how their church became healthy and changed the world. And so they didn't bury their hands, their heads in the sand like it's so easy to do today. What they did is they picked respected uh, men here. It says, and here's what they did. They're respected. They've been around the block here full of the Spirit, in touch with God. You know, their life is on this trajectory of, of uh, moving toward Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they were wise. They just knew how to do things and get things done here. And so they became the ones to take care of the widows. All right, remember the widows? So in the word is deaconos. They were, they were, that's where our word deacon comes from. And they were serving then the widows. And so they picked people then to serve them. And interestingly, they're from all these different cultures. You have Philip and Stephen who are both amazing there. And so they were legit. Now here's the result. On the screens here, here's the result. So God's message continued to spread. Watch. They're taking care of the duplicity of, they're serving, they're taking care of the widows, but in that context, look what happened. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests here, those farthest from, from Christ here, had the hardest time with Jesus, were converted too. And so now why? Why the story? Why the story of not enough food? Why the story of ethnic issues? Why the story of, you know, cultural issues? The tension there, the racist issue. Why, why the story here? And they resolved it again. They resolved it in a way the church became healthy and we face this very same thing here. So here is the mandate. We must be the good news as much as declare the good news. We must be the good news. And so, um, they taught God's word. People knew the truth there. They declared Jesus, but then also they lived like Jesus out in the, out in the community there. And so they moved from their seats to the streets there. They didn't do it for extra credit. And so that is why today we're giving, you know, these sleeping bags that have flask and hygiene stuff and the gospel of John. So we want to give that to you because we want to like empower us to move from the seats to the streets where, you know what, like when I was listening to Carl, like talk about all the stuff to do, I thought, oh man, I didn't like do all that stuff. You know, like I, I didn't pray with them. And I, so you know what, um, uh, didn't happen there. And I've given a, so, but if you want to, that's awesome. So anyway, um, but just, but I just drove up to people and like, and I just see them out in the community say, Hey, I just want to bless you with this, you know, and, uh, thank you. It's a gift from God. God bless you. And, and I was off, but you know what? Every time I did that, it marked me 
just marked me, you know, because I engaged someone I would usually never engage. And so we're giving those to you today. And there will be more in a couple weeks there. And so we talked about how Jesus defined greatness as serving. And if you go by the world's definition of great, how many people can be great? Can very many people be great when, uh, uh, you know, powerful, wealthy, you know, good looking, you know, uh, all these things here. How many people can really be great in the world's eyes? Very few. But Jesus said uh, that you, the greatest among you must be a servant. And so how many people can be great by Jesus' standard, by his definition? Everyone can be great, right? And so greatness is in serving there. And so the creator of the universe invites you to engage in being great. And so you don't need power, position, prestige, money, wealth, greatness. Greatness, he says, look, it's released in you when you do this. You become great in God's eyes when you just step into into serving there. So everyone can be great because everyone can serve here. And so um, every believer, in your notes there, one of our values is this, in your notes there, that every one of us, every follower, is a minister with a ministry. So we're releasing you to do that today. And so in Ephesians, I want to give you one of the last scriptures here, speaks of that Christ gave to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work. You're the ministers and to build up the church, the body of Christ here. And so what is the lesson then is that God gives us the ability, the capacity to impact others. You don't do it in your own power, but you do it in his power there. And so I know that you can do that and you can make a mark and leave a difference. But the lesson is this, is that we can do for the one, do for the one what you can't do for everyone and do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. So tell me if this isn't true when you were little. Tell me if this isn't true when you were little. When you were little and you would want something, and somebody, an adult would say to you, oh, I can't do it for you because if I do it for you, I have to do it for... Yeah, so I can't do it. And you're a little kid and you're thinking, uh, that's, a bunch of, uh, that's a bunch of hot air. You give me a popsicle. You have to give everybody a popsicle. And you're like, this is not true. But then as an adult, as an adult, what you do is you begin to believe that. You go, well, if I can't do it for everyone, then I can't do it for the one. And you can. And so, uh, so we have an opportunity to do something for the one, for one family. So we built, we're building a home, a loft house home for one family. So check out this video. Hey, you know what's really cool is, um, is that this year we're going to do this twice. It's just awesome. We're going to do it twice. And so, uh, Big shout out to all of you guys that are a part of that. So, hey, you know what? I was there uh, last Saturday. And you know what? When I was there, I didn't hear one person say any kind of comment like, you know what? That's an hour I'll never get back. You know what? That's a morning I'll never get back. Or I heard people telling the stories of the, of the Loft Health build uh, down in Mexico and how unbelievably um, awesome it was for them and how much it marked their life. I never heard one person say, you know, that was a weekend I'll never get back. No, they just, they're so blessed in serving here. And so here's what guides are thinking. In Galatians, it says this. It says, let's not get tired. Because you know what? The truth is, we do get tired because life happens. It says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. 
at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. And so there's going to be a there's going to be a harvest. There's going to be great things happen. Good things happen. God is going to going to work as you don't wear out. And and so and I get it. You know, um, we're busy. I, I I understand that. But here's the exhortation of Scripture: Don't give up. And therefore, it says, knowing this, and here's where we stand. Whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Now watch. Opportunity is the word, the Greek word kairos. It's how God looks at time. It's God's view of time. Like, we don't look at time the way that God looks at time. We look at time chronos, a calendar. But how God looks at time, he says, as you have opportunity, the way God looks at it, is you're going to have an opportunity that's going to pass you by. And you want to take advantage of that opportunity there. It's a God-given opportunity that will soon, will soon pass here. A God-given opportunity that's a unique opportunity for you to embody Jesus and be Jesus in that opportunity there. And so what do we do? Like, who is your one? Who is your one? I talked about my one there, the car wash. And there's other ones, but who, who is your one? See, and don't think if I do it for the one, I have to do it for everyone. Just God is asking, like, just who's your one? And so I'm going to, God says, I'm going to give you a kairos, an opportunity there that will soon pass you by every, uh, maybe in a day, in a week or a month. There it will be. And so what is the one that God's given you? Maybe it'll be a student. Maybe it's grade school or middle school or high school. or college. Maybe it's in a student's life. Your Cairo. Don't miss that is what the scripture saying. Maybe it's your neighbor. Their life's going sideways. You have an opportunity to reach out to them. Maybe it's a single mom, you know, and God's put into your life. And maybe not every mom. But maybe the one mom. Who is your one? Maybe it's one family, it's in your neighborhood, and they're in crisis. It could be that, that one. Maybe somebody works at your office there, or maybe somebody, a, you know, a kid there in the foster care system, or maybe it's somebody, an addict or something. But who is your one, your kairos, that God set it up just for you to reach that one? And we talked about stuff here, and you heard Pastor Lucas, and Lofthouse stuff, and going to be creative teams here. It's going to be cool. You know, uh, there's uh, maybe something off campus or maybe something on campus, but just because we can't do it for everyone doesn't mean we can't do it for the one. And if we do, what happened then will happen now. The gospel, the good news will rapidly increase. We'll see people come to Jesus. Okay. That is what we want. It'll be a game changer for you, and a game changer for someone. Their life will be changed. So in just a moment, we're going to take up the benevolence offering. Let me pray as the, the, uh, the ushers come forward, and then we're going to share in communion together, if you would pray. And Father, thank you for your words. May they be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Father, I pray that by your grace and through your spirit and because of your Son, we'd be transformed by you, that we would be those servants. 
that we would look to you and we would step into those Kairos moments that you have for us. So, Father, bless us as we just seek to bless this community here and give uh, to others. And so we ask it in Jesus' name.